Blog Talk Radio. This is KWOD Radio, and this is Patty Holstrand, and yes, we're here again today. <laughs> it's a make three days this week. I know that's a big number for me. So, we're on live today, and we're so excited to have a special guest with us today. Trina Robbins. She's going. She is going to be the guest of honor for CopperCon Revolution. You guys, got to take a look at their website and find out. You know what date? That's going to be the beginning of August. I can look for you. <laughs> Obviously, August eighth through the eleventh, I'm going to be there as well, doing some uh, interviewing of some our special guests here. But we're talking to Trina Robbins today. She's an award-winning historian and writer. She's written a lot of graphic novels comic books for the last 30 years. Ever since she produced her first all-woman comic book, It Ain't Me, Babe, in 1970. Creator of the women's, as spelled W-I-M-M-E-N-S, <laughs> women's, women's comics. Her subjects have ranged from Wonder Woman and the Powerpuff Girls to her own teenage heroine, Go Girl. And from the women cartoonists and superheroines to women who kill. Which, of course, is, as most of you know, I like those kind of funky women. So, no further ado. Trina, are you there? I'm here. Hi. <laughs> Hopefully you could hear what I was saying. Absolutely. <laughs> you have been around for a while. I have. <laughs> and it sounds like you've got, uh, you know, you have a spunky personality to go along with your spunky women. Well, I hope so. <laughs> so tell us, you know, how did you get into this business? Well, you know, I read comics as a kid. Um, <clears throat> I was very lucky in having a mother who was a teacher, and she taught me to read at four. And I just oh, took oh. to reading, and I read everything. You know, every book in the house. I was the kid who read the back of the cereal boxes, you know, in the <laughs> breakfast table. And so I also read comics. And my parents didn't mind that I read comics. They didn't feel like, oh, she's reading comics, so she won't read real books, because I read everything. So, you know, I started with comics. And it was just kind of natural. It was a natural progression. Yeah, if you really think about it, you know, if you if you look at the kids' books, you know, the the children books with uh, with a few words in the bottom and the pictures. I mean, really, absolutely, that's what comic books are. That's what they are. Yes. So that's awesome that your parents, you know, that definitely uh, got you started early, which of course helps. Now, <laughs> how did you how did you start writing for these? Uh, well, you know, like I said, my mother taught me to read at four, and of course, along with reading came writing, and I was always writing. I, I wrote my first poem before I could even read. I wrote my first poem at the age of three. Um, so I, I was always writing, and I didn't stop writing, and, you know, add writing to comics, and you have me. <laughs> 
So it said that you are considered the expert in subject of 20th century women cartoonists. Yes. Yes, and that's because the guys, when they have written their histories of comics, don't write about the women. They just write about other guys. Um, So I felt that this was, obviously this was something that needed to be fixed. And they left this great big hole just for me to fill. So, So that's really nice of them to ignore women so that I could come along. (laughs) <laughs> well, you might as well fill it. You know, that's what I say. If you see, mm-hmm. see a need, you fill it. And today, that's what I've done, yes. <laughs> that's what you've done. Uh, you are previously forgotten women. Uh, you know, okay, if you say forgotten women, are we talking about uh, you know, artists that were drawing who were women, or are we talking about writers? We're talking about women who created comics. In general, I talk about the artists. Um, And by previously forgotten, I mean that they were not written about. The big discovery I made when researching all these women was that if you're not written about, you're forgotten. And they have not been written about because the guys are not interested. The guys are just interested in writing about whoever drew Spider-Man number one or the Hulk or something. So... um, now that I've written about them, they're not forgotten. There you go. And and that is, that is true. That's true. And of course, it'd be such a shame because uh, you know that's what you what's what you crave for in order to. And these women know, were incredible. I mean, it isn't a case of just oh yeah, there's were a couple of women who drew comics. There were a lot of women who drew comics, and they were great. And some of them were superstars. I mean, newspapers wrote articles about them and interviewed them. They were really, really famous. Wow. I mean, they came around before you know the journalists. Then, yeah, the women well, journalists. The journalists. They had to be journalists to write about them. That's true. That's a, but you know, you saying that the women journalists wrote about women cartoonists, but the oh, men you women... mean the women cartoonists came around before women journalists? But you yeah. know, there there were women journalists very early. There were women journalists very early. Um, um, Nell Brinkley, who is one of the best women cartoonists who I write about, got her start in 1907 uh, when she covered a very famous trial in New York. And there were all these women journalists covering the trial also. And it was a real heartbreaking trial. It was um, uh, Evelyn Nesbitt, who was this absolutely gorgeous woman. She was, in fact, she was a um, a Gibson girl. If you've heard of Gibson girls, right? Mm-hmm, um, yeah. And her crazy husband, he was a millionaire and he was a crazy millionaire, shot this other guy because Evelyn Nesbitt had had an affair with him before she married her husband. So this was like the trial of the century in 1907, like the first trial of the century. And Nell Brinkley covered the trial. She drew the, 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 the you know, the woman, the beautiful Evelyn Nesbitt. And, but the women journalists who covered the trial were so moved by Evelyn Nesbitt's testimony that they burst into tears. And this is where you get the term for women journalists calling them sob sisters. These were the women oh. who were called the sob sisters. <laughs> yeah, that, that will give us a, a bit of a, um, a problem because you know, men always think that you know women shouldn't be in certain uh, businesses and uh, journalism was one of them. 
Oh, it sure was, and comics was another. But despite what men thought, there were women journalists and there were women cartoonists. Lots of them. Yeah, whether they like it or not. <laughs> uh-huh, exactly. Do you still think that is a men's club? Or you think that you're really making big strides for women now? Oh, I think we're making, comics are making enormous strides. Women are making enormous strides in comics. And that's because of graphic novels, which I write graphic novels. Um, and graphic novels are, they look like books, except, the you know, they have spines just like books. They're not mm-hmm. all, all kind of soft and floppy like comic books. And so you can buy them in bookstores and you can find them in libraries. And they're not although some of them might be superheroes in general, they're not superheroes. They're not stories about guys with too many muscles and big chins punching each other to bits. They're real stories told in comic form. And lots of women, I mean, women have never been all that interested, really, in stories, in drawing or writing, stories about those muscular guys punching each other. You know, that's not what we're interested in. But graphic novels tell real stories. So there are lots and lots of women writing and drawing graphic novels. And you can find them in bookstores. So you don't have to go into those comic book stores that are all filled with, you know, 12-year-old boys. (laughs) Well, you know, honestly, they're not 12-year-old boys anymore. Uh, (laughs) I know, I know. I was exaggerating, and I apologize. Well, it, you know, it's funny because I was talking to a couple of the, uh, you know, bookstore on, uh, the comic book or bookstore owners, and a few of them said that, you know, uh, once this generation uh, kind of gets into their sixties uh, and seventies, that the younger generations is not coming up behind them. Do you think that that could be true? That we can see uh, it, we're seeing a lot older generation for comic books. Uh, Yes, actually, I mean, because they're aiming the comic books. Comic books, well, okay, just let's talk about just the mainstream, the superhero comics, you know, like Spider-Man and Superman and the Hulk and all these characters and Batman. They're very violent. Um, They're... uh, there's a lot of, you know, at least allusions to sex in them. There's a lot of the women are drawn very hypersexually, you know, with, you know, really exaggerated figures and teeny little skimpy outfits. And um, they're not for kids. I mean, they're, they're you know, they're eight, ages 18 and over, really. Um, where you're going to find things for kids is in graphic novels. I keep coming back to graphic novels because that's where you're going to find the stuff for kids. The graphic novels that I write are for younger readers. There's a lot okay. of really great graphic novels out there for younger readers. Okay, well, that's a really interesting uh, thought then. Do you think that the comic book stores should be carrying more of the graphic novels then? Well, I hope that the better comic book stores are carrying graphic novels. Hmm. That's something definitely to, to, that I'm going to have to look into. Uh, <laughs> just for, you know, obviously, to write the article about that. I think that this uh, curious, uh, you know, they, I have one uh, particular comic book store owner who is uh, saying, you know, his thought is that in 10 years that they have probably 10 to 10 to 15 more years of the heyday for comics. And I think you're, I think he was talking about the Superman. Uh, yes, you know, absolutely, yeah. the superheroes. And then, you know, then they'll just be 
aged out. I mean, all the guys will just be too old, you right. know, and that's that's it for superheroes. Wow. And that's, and that's interesting, I thought, and then, of course, we're getting into more graphic novels, which is uh, more for the younger generation. Are we talking about, because uh, I know graphic, some graphic novels are, are definitely graphic, you know, uh, when I'm talking about being... Oh, they were fun uh, for adults, too, of course. Mm-hmm. But you're talking about some that have, like, a storyline. I know that yours is, is definitely more geared towards the the young adult, the up-and-coming teenager. Yes. yes, young adults and teenagers, absolutely. But then again, young adults and teenagers are now reading a lot, uh, let's say, darker and... Uh, more adult-oriented works now, don't you think? Well, there's a limit to how adult-oriented they can read uh, these books because, you know, a lot of them are adults only, and the bookstores can't sell those things to kids. I know that uh, a lot of the stuff I have done is also for classrooms, educational graphic novels, and that Mm -hmm. teachers love graphic novels because they have discovered that kids who won't read books will read comics. And so, you know, this gets kids reading. Yeah, that, that, of course that makes sense. Uh, the kids themselves have become more um, artistic-oriented, if, if, you, if, if I could say it that way, in that mm-hmm. they, they are visual. Yes. Which is probably why they're going more towards the graphic novels. Oh, absolutely. Hmm. Well, that's a, definitely an interesting uh, turn of events there. <laughs> that actually about really makes sense, you know, because here the kids are, are into the games and uh, into the visuals of the movies. And so, you know, if they're going to be interested in, in anything, uh, they're going to be interested in graphic novels. Exactly, visuals that tell stories. Yeah. That's interesting that that would, but yeah, I, I can see a distinct uh, age difference. With, uh, oh, but there's a lot of graphic novels that are for adults too, that are very, very intelligent and very good. It isn't just a kid thing. Right. Yeah, I've seen some that were pretty dark too, um, but they still had a, a you know the, the the more young adult uh, idea to them that you know you can get out of trouble, you can. Uh, you can have a lot of, you know, adversity in your life, but you can still come on top. Oh, yeah. Of, uh, story ideas. And so that's, those are good messages, so. Oh, yes, absolutely. Have you seen any change? Have you, have you been, you know, here for 30 years. Have you seen any change, uh, distinct changes in style of the story? Well, again, I have to come back to, you know, that it used to be just superheroes, you know, and if you didn't, if you didn't want to draw the guys beating each other up, you were out of luck. <laughs> and now there is so much more, so of course there are changes in stories. I mean, you can tell, you know, I keep coming back to graphic novels, but that really is the, the thing of the 21st century. You can tell real stories. The other thing is, of course, they're longer. Comics are like 20 pages, 22 pages. Graphic novels are 100 pages, 200 pages. They're real stories. You can really get into the characters. You can tell real stories. They're novels in pictures. Hmm. 
And then, of course, again, like I said, it makes definitely makes sense to these people. Be kids would be interested in this. Um, so when when you got into this business, did you have a hard time uh, adjusting to the men's club? Totally, the men's club never adjusted to me. Is really what it was. <laughs> I mean, I, I, was, I was I was excluded. I I was not allowed into the men's club. I mean, they had a sign up that said "No girls allowed." Oh, wow. They didn't really. That part I made up. But, I mean, they, it was kind of like a virtual sign. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. They gave you that look. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and it probably patted you on the head and said, you know. No, nobody patted my on the head. They mostly, I think they mostly, I mean, they would be polite to me, but they mostly kind of treated me as though I was invisible. You know, yeah. I mean, they just That's kind of work. ignored me. Yeah. Yeah, that's even worse, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think that you're you're one one of those kind of women who who would sit sit quietly behind the scenes. Oh, I was not going to let myself be ignored. I mean, luckily, the publishers were not. You know, it was only the guys themselves who were boys club. Publishers are smart enough to publish something that they know is good and will sell. So I, you know, I got published. Mm-hmm. Well, that that's good to say because you know sometimes I wonder, <laughs> sometimes I wonder about these publishers and whether or not they really know, uh, you know, a good story when it hits them in the head, but um, <laughs> or they continue to do the same thing over and over and over again. Uh, that yeah, that you, you see that the resurgence of some of this, some of the graphic novels are due to independent publishers, you know. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um okay. independent publishers who, you know, who are willing to take a chance because they're small. A lot right. of graphic novels are published by small presses. But also the major publishers, the major publishers like uh, like um Abrams or Penguin, you know, the big publishers are they know that graphic novels sell and that they are the thing of the 21st century, and they're publishing them. Hmm. And do you think that they they jumped on the bandwagon after they saw this change, or that they kind of got in the in the door first? Well, I think that they saw. You know, I mean, because it's been going on really since the late 90s, and I think they saw what was happening. And that this was the wave of the future or or the wave of the 21st century. You know, and like I say about publishers, they're smart. When something is good and it'll sell, or they see that good things are selling, they want to publish them too. Yeah. And they don't care if it's a man or a woman who's doing it, as long as the person is good. There you go. And that's how it should be. It shouldn't matter matter what your sex is. You should... Yeah, you know, uh, or even what your politics should, are. You know, if you're a good writer, you should be able to get published. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go over a couple of, of specific things, uh, especially from your website. Uh, Pretty in Ink. Yes. That That's was a my, book. Go ahead. My latest history <laughs> of women cartoonists. It's my final and definitive history of women cartoonists because. You know, how many times can you write this? But this has all new material. Uh, people who were not in my past books, 
um, I found a, a Native American woman cartoonist who was a whack corporal during World War II who drew this really great strip for the whack newspapers. I, all yeah. sorts of people like that, you know, who, you know, it's just amazing how many women there were who were doing this. Hmm. And uh, that was coming up here pretty soon here, coming uh, fall of, of this year. Yes. Yes, it should be out in the fall. That's awesome, everyone. You've got to take a look at her website. And, of course, I've got it listed right on the chat information. So everyone who's listening, scroll down a little bit on the page. Right. And under the chat is, is I already had uh, listed Trina Robbins' website, so that way you guys can find all this information as well. And you just click on it, it's ready to go. Super. Also, anybody who is listening and wants to call in, I, you know, I can't, I don't need to have her all myself. <laughs> so his uh, phone call is, is 714-242-5145. Also, if you happen to be on Facebook, definitely come on over and take it and obviously listen in. And if you don't have time now, it's also going to be in archive mode uh, later right. tonight. So you guys can listen to it at your leisure. So we've got a book coming up, which is awesome. So you, you definitely, you definitely been busy. You're a busy lady. Oh yes, I I I kind of have this very heavy, um, um, what's the term? This work ethic, this kind of Judeo-Christian work ethic, that I feel like if I'm not working on something, then then I'm not worth anything. You know, uh-huh. my my self worth has to do with with what I'm producing. Okay. Now, in 2009, you came out with the Brinkley Girls. Yes. Tell us about that she, one. Well, she, as I mentioned before, God, she was so good. She her art is just gorgeous. I mean, it's just absolutely gorgeous. And she was a superstar. She came to New York in 1907, no, 1906, I think it was, to work for the Hearst newspapers. And um, she worked her way up. I mean, in the beginning, like I said, she was covering that famous trial of the century um, and just doing small black and white illustrations. But by by about 1917, she was doing full-page, um, gorgeous, full-color art and kind of kind of like early comics. Um, the first ones were really very inspired by the movie serials. They were serialized from Sunday to Sunday and told these absolutely great blood and thunder stories in which the women were the heroines. I mean, it, <laughs> uh, my two favorites of hers, the first one is the one that she did starting in 1917 about World War One, where um, the heroine is named Golden Eyes and her boyfriend goes off to war, so she joins the Red Cross so that she can go over overseas with him, and she becomes an ambulance driver, and the ambulance crashes in the forest, and she gets captured by this evil German, the enemy, and she steals his secrets. Um, and then there's this fantastic scene where she overhears the Germans in no man's land planning an attack up on her boyfriend's regiment, and she runs to, to to warn them, but she's too late, and this battle has taken place, and there's her boyfriend lying wounded in the snow, and she drags him to safety. I mean, it's it's right out of those 
silent movie serials. Wow. And, of but, course, you know, gorgeously drawn. Gorgeously drawn. Yeah, and, the, you know, that story could be told, you know, that it's a great story even now. Oh, just change the war. Yeah, change the war. Or even, you know, because we like history anyway. Uh, oh, it's true. It's true. Yeah, it would be better as something <laughs> out of 1917, really, because the clothes are so great. Yeah, I can see that she done uh, saw some things on your website. Very, very gorgeous coloring. And uh, women that then had the, you know, the long lines on, you know, on their outfits, and of course they were into bangles and stuff like that. Oh, the clothes <laughs> are gorgeous. She, I mean, she could have been a dress designer. The clothes she puts on her heroines are so beautiful. <laughs> Now I'm going to go to the next one, Forbidden City, the golden age of Chinese yes. nightclubs. Yes, and that has nothing at all to do with comics. Um, it's a history. In Starting in 1937, um, in, in San Francisco's Chinatown, there were these wonderful Chinese nightclubs. It was the golden age. They lasted till about 1961. And uh, during the war was the best time. They had all Asian entertainers, Incredibly beautiful Asian women dancing with with their pompadour hair hairstyles and the dark lipstick and um, gorgeously handsome men tap dancing or dancing with the women with their slicked back hair and their tuxedos. I mean, beautiful people and um, and the GIs used to come. You know, in, this was San Francisco. The GIs would would either coming from overseas or about to go overseas. They would go to these nightclubs, not just Chinese people, but, you know, Caucasians. Just they would be amazed, you know, that like us, some of them had never, were not at all familiar with Chinese people. You know, it never occurred to them that Chinese people could sing and dance just like just like anyone else and could be beautiful and talented. Uh, so these clubs were immensely successful. Um, and I interviewed... For the book, I interviewed 22 people who were either retired entertainers from that period, or you know, or their their sons and daughters. You know, in the case where they had passed away, or even their sisters and brothers. Like there was this one woman, Jadine Wong, who she was just the queen of the nightclubs. She was the only Chinese dancer who actually made the cover of Life magazine. Um, but she had had a series of strokes. And she couldn't talk anymore. So her brother, her brother talked for her. Um, he had been an, an entertainer, too. He'd been a piano player and a singer. And he just, it was really very touching. I mean, because he was like saying, Jadine, remember that time that, that you ran away from home because you were 17 and you had to dance, but your parents wouldn't let you? And he was like saying it to her. And that was the way oh, he uh. told the story. <laughs> and she did, by the way. She ran away from home at 17 because, you know, the old-style Chinese parents, they were shocked, you know, what, you want to dance? You want to show your legs? So so a lot of these kids had to run away from home to perform, and they became superstars. Well, you know, I don't think it was just the Chinese families. I think the families in that time period. Uh, yes, were shot at that time. You're right. The old-fashioned parents. Yeah, yeah. They 
It's, uh, they wanted you to have a nine to five job and uh, family and. <laughs> they wanted and if you were a, a girl, they wanted you to marry and have kids. That's right. That's right. And you know that you're you're different by wanting to perform or wanting to be creative at all. Uh, made you, uh, you know, at that time, uh, ostracized you from the family. Yes. Yes. Thank, thank goodness that's over. <laughs> yes, I hope so. Yeah. At least well, in America. Yeah, at least in America. There are still some other countries that uh, have families like that. And, you know, that's, you have to wonder sometimes whether or not we went backwards to in order to go forwards. Well, I feel, like, I feel like this country has a lot of problems, but I'm still incredibly glad that I live here. Oh, definitely. And because we live in America, we can say so. <laughs> yes, yes. They can say, hey, you know, we have a lot of problems, and, and we can say that without, you know, worrying about somebody coming to our door. <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's, that's, that's right. America. Now, Chicagoland is a detective agency type of thing, and I thought it was very, I really loved, I loved your ideas here. Um, Thank you. I, <laughs> It was so cute. You have your your night as living dogs. I just love that one. And uh, yes. and your your Maltese mommy. And so you kind of you kind of put a couple of the stories together in that one. I thought that was really really cute. Thank you, thank you. I I absolutely love my characters, and I really get a kick out of writing them. The detective agency, as you know, consists of three characters. There's a, um, a Hispanic, 12-year-old Hispanic boy who is a computer genius, a 13-year-old Japanese-American girl who reads Japanese comics, which are called manga, and writes haiku, which is a special kind of Japanese poem, and a talking dog. And the talking dog, as you know, is the real brains of the outfit because he's a doggy Einstein. <laughs> And, and you know, you, I loved the one you had uh, the the drain brains caper. That's, that's your that's your bit of a mummy uh, excerpt there. That's great. Thank you. Got you. A couple of, you've got a couple of new ones. You want to tell us about those? Uh, let's see. Well, I think the very latest is the big flush. I think that's the latest, um, and that has to do with a ghost who went down with the Titanic, uh, a 13-year-old girl who went down with the Titanic in 1912 and who is haunting because she was underwater. She could only travel through the water. So she's tra- she's haunting the, the pipes, the plumbing in uh, in this this girl's school, this girl's boarding school that, that she attended when she was still alive. Um I'm not going to say any more. You have to uh. find it and read it. <laughs> well, I thought it was interesting that, and you can you have like uh, older outfits on these girls, and of course you can tell that they were ghosts or some kind of apparitions on your cover. So that was wondering well, about that. Well, the art, of course, is by Tyler Page, who was absolutely fabulous. He has drawn every issue. Uh, uh, He's working on number six right now, um, and he just is doing such a great job. He is just a pleasure. I love it when I see his pencils. You know, when the editor sends me, you know, the latest pencils, I just love it. Yeah, they very, and of course, it does help to have the same uh, artist when it comes to a series like this. 
Oh, listen, it took us at least one issue to 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 get to really understand each other, you know. Mm-hmm. Although the first one is really good, I think the subsequent one, subsequent ones are better and better because he it took him one issue to get it, you know. Right. Right, definitely. And uh and they're all different types of of stories. In other well, words, what they all have in common is they're they're is the word supernatural right? Is that what I would use? Yeah, I, I would mean, say there's so. I mean, there's mummies and ghosts and and werewolves and and that's just you know, of course, those are definitely uh, right up the alley for kids because they're they're into all that. Me too. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Now the one of bark the bark in space. What's that one about? Oh, those are the aliens. I think if. Maybe that's the last one. I can't remember whether the Bark in Space is number five or whether the Big Flush is number five. But the Bark in Space is about aliens who just happen to be dogs, highly evolved. They come from a planet of highly evolved dogs. So they come to Earth because their, their princess has disappeared. They know she's somewhere on Earth and they have to find her. So... They know about the doggy detective Bradley, and it doesn't occur to them that, you know, they figure he's the, well, he is the brains of the outfit, but they think that he's the detective, and the other two kids are just, you know, his his underlings and his pets. Uh-huh. So they go to Bradley to, to, to find the missing princess. <laughs> and, of course, you know, kids love dogs. Me too, again. <laughs> Do you have a dog yourself? No, I have two cats. And my cats will not allow me to have a dog. <laughs> yeah, they do have a say, don't they? <laughs> no, I have no say when it comes to my cats. <laughs> yeah, I know cats are like that. I have one of my own. That's it with oh, my, you my... do? Yeah, Squeaker, she's, she's actually right here. <laughs> they're, oh, they're that's right wonderful. Next, right next what to me. kind? Uh, she's a uh, uh, she's a calico, believe it or not. She's I love calico. calico. Long long hair calico. Yes, I love long hair calicos. They're beautiful. Yeah, they are. And she's a very beautiful kitty. She she was actually my son's cat. I mean, you know how cats attach to one person, mainly. Yes. And yeah, she was attached to him. It was she. You know, he was uh, uh, he was. She was she she considered him her boy. So, <laughs> and then he went to college. So, uh, Lisa say uh, that she's that she's mine now. <laughs> oh yeah, it was like well, yeah. man yeah. I love is gone, but she'll do in a pinch. Yeah, it's like okay, I'll put up with you. <laughs> uh huh. You may feed me, right? <laughs> you may feed me. Now, we're going to get into something a little more risque here. I think Miss Fury is definitely a little more risque. Oh, she was. Uh, it's quite amazing, really, you know, that this this was a national strip published in national newspapers and incredibly popular. You know, we tend to think of, of the past as being very, you know, you know mm-hmm. having really strong, what, Moral attitude, you know, being yeah. more uptight, really. But there was this incredible strip in the forties, and there were other strips also that were that were kind of like that. I mean, if you read Terry and the Pirates, you see like the Dragon Lady walking around in this this shirt that's open to her navel. Um, but Miss Fury, of course, 
was this fabulous adventure, and it was drawn by a woman, Tarpey Mills, who looked like the character. Miss Fury is this beautiful socialite who who puts on a, this skin-tight panther skin, you know, to fight crime. And she mm-hmm. looked like Tarpey Mills. I mean, Tarpey Mills drew herself in the strip, really. And it's one way, if you're an artist, if you're a cartoonist, and you want to have adventures, well, you just draw it. You draw it, and there you are on the page having adventures. And that's what she did. And yes, it's quite risque. I mean, she would have like bathtub scenes, you know, where, you know, all the important parts are covered with bubbles, but still, you know, like really pin-uppy. And she also, of course, Tarpe Mills was the queen of cat fights. She used to show her her heroine fighting these the villainesses, these who were also incredibly beautiful, by the way. <clears throat> uh, fabulous, fabulous fight scenes. You know, not superheroes punching each other out, but two women rolling around and pulling each other's hair, and you know. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely, and it. Uh, yeah, and then I can imagine that they would probably pass around underneath the table. <laughs> I don't think they had to be passed around under the table. You oh, could. Okay. They were running in American newspapers and nationally syndicated oh, newspapers. Okay. There was nothing under the table about them. Yeah, you would think that they, they, you know, here, here she is, said showing her navel, you know, um, but she doesn't well, show actually, her ankles there. <laughs> actually, the showing of the navel was considered very daring, and for all that she would show a lot of leg or have low cut dresses, there's only one time that she showed her that. One of the characters in a nightclub scene, one of the characters wore this little outfit that showed her navel that was really like a bathing suit, even really by today's standards a comparatively conservative bathing suit. But some newspapers actually canceled that strip because they considered it too shocking. <laughs> so like the navel, yeah. the navel yeah. was out. Yeah, and you know we still have certain things. Uh, you know, uh, the nipple is, is an issue now. Oh, they definitely, definitely no, you don't that. show that. Yeah, there's yeah. still stuff you don't show. Yeah, so, they, you know, because of family. Yeah, you consider newspapers still part of family. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, that's it. So, uh, Honey West, now I know about Honey West. Uh, she's, you know, you're talking about the actress herself. Oh, played Arlene Francis. Yeah. The beautiful Arlene Francis. Very exotic woman. She she was, uh, and I never knew that they made a strip out, you know, based on her. That was interesting. Well, they hadn't until I did it. Um, oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, she, you know, for for the for the people who are listening who may not know, she was the first woman detective on television played by Arlene Francis, who had this great sultry face and a beauty mark, this great beauty mark. Um, she was great. She was a great Honey West. Um, and um, this small publisher decided to do comics. So I'm not the only one who has written Honey West for them. They have a couple of other writers. I think at least one other writer, Elaine Lee, maybe another writer too. But I've done like, I think at this point, four Honey Wests, and I've written... Uh, another two, which are which are not out yet, 
uh, and I really enjoy it because I love the TV series. I love the the strong woman, and and especially, especially I love that big cat Bruce. He's a um, not a cheetah. What kind of cat is he? He's he's one of those big spotted <laughs> cats, and it's her pet. Yeah, I saw that. An uh, ocelot. And, uh, oh, he's an ocelot. That's what he is. Yeah. He's an ocelot. Yes, and yeah. the first, the first series that I did, the first two, Bruce saves her life by jumping on the back of the killer. Which oh, I she just gave be... it away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> well, we'll pretend we didn't hear that. Yes. <laughs> uh, Moonstone is the publisher of, of that particular uh, yes, series, correct? Yes, and I do know that their their graphic novels are they they are selling that on ipulpfiction dot com everyone so you can get any of the Moonstone uh, uh, publications on that website. So Great. Uh, local friends of ours. So we definitely like to plug any local family that we can. Oh yes. Now now, uh, Lily Renee is that how you say that? Ah uh, yes. This is a beautiful piece that you're doing here. Excuse me. <coughs> Too much talking. I have to... Uh, this is a cordless phone, so I'm going into the kitchen to get some water as I talk to okay. you. Okay, okay. Um, well, Lily Renee, I have written about her. As you know, I, I've written about women who drew comics, and Lily Renee drew comics in the 1940s. She was a really great artist, and, and she drew these... You know, a lot of the women, when they drew comics, they drew women. They drew heroines, you know. So she did that, too. Um, and I knew I knew about her, and I'd put her in my books, but I, I had no idea she was still alive until one day I got an email from her daughter. And I was so oh, excited. Wow. You can't imagine. And at first I still thought, well, she's not with us anymore. And I emailed her daughter. I said, what can you tell me about your mother? And she emailed me back, well, my mother can tell you she's alive and well. So, you know, she <laughs> gave me her phone number. And this was, um, I think this was about six years ago. So we have become friends. And her story is so amazing. I mean, her story is like a comic book. So I felt I had to tell it in graphic novel form, which I did. Lily was a refugee. She was a teenage girl in Vienna, a teenage Jewish girl, in 1938 when the Nazis moved in. Huh. And she escaped in 1939. She went to England via this thing called Kinder Transport, which was um, England who was not at war with Germany yet, made an agreement with Germany that they would take Jewish kids under the age of 17 um, from Nazi-occupied countries. And they did. They saved the lives of 10,000 Jewish kids, uh, which is just, it's a gold star for England. It's one of the wonderful things that England has done. And she was one of those kids. And she wound up in England. She wound up. After after they declared war with Germany, not even knowing if her parents were still alive, um, she, because of course she lost all touch with them, and she was working in a hospital as a nurse's aide during the Blitz. Um, it was a, a maternity hospital, so every night she was carrying these newborn babies down to the shelter, um, and finally her parents 
it has a happy ending, thank God, because I don't know if I could have borne to tell the story, bared to tell the story, if it didn't have a happy ending. But her parents escaped to America, and they found her, and she came to America. Now, Lily had been an artist. She was just a teenager, but she was an artist. And they were refugees, you know, just living hand-to-mouth. They had been very well off in Vienna, but, of course, they had had to leave everything. They lost everything. And they were taking little odd jobs here and there. And her mother saw an ad in the paper that a comic book company was looking for artists. And she said, look, Lily, this is something you can do. Lily said, I've never drawn a comic in my life. I don't even read comics. And she went to the the newsstand and bought a couple of comics and studied them and drew some sample panels and went down to the company and she got the job. Um, And this is how, you know, her story is like an adventure it also, Definitely. she was also yeah. incredibly beautiful, by the way. <laughs> well, yeah, that it, you wind up meeting these people who are very beautiful women, and you know, uh, that's and telling their story. That's important because, as you said, this makes them real and, and keeps their their story going. Yes. And that's important because otherwise, you know, that we lose it, and then we we don't want to lose those stories. Otherwise, we wouldn't know it. Now, everybody knows about Lily and her adventures. Now, you've got a, uh, I think it's a new, yes, yeah, a new one, The Match Made in Heaven. Now, this one's interesting. The boyfriend is a monster. That's a series. The series is called My Boyfriend is a Monster. And each each book in the series is written and drawn by different people. And so there's, you know, there's my boyfriend is a Frankenstein monster or my boyfriend is a vampire or my boyfriend is a zombie. But the one I did is, I think, the most romantic one, and I was so happy to do it. It's the one where her boyfriend is an angel. Oh, and he's an I, angel. Yeah. Yes, he's an angel, and that's why it's a match made in heaven. And I just, I've never written a romance before. It's my first romance. And, <laughs> you know, I just... So loved writing that. It's a very beautiful cover. It's uh, you can tell oh, yeah, it's a romantic done, look to it. The artists are two young women, Spanish women. I mean, who live in Spain, and oh, really? um, they work together, and they're so good. I was going to say it's got got kind of a Japanization look to it. Yes, manga. Those Japanese comics, manga. Yeah, they're very yeah. inspired by manga. He's got that look about him, the the outfit, the hair. Uh, you know, just the, the I've seen some uh, manga that reminds me of the you know, the feathers that are used like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's got the influence there. Beautiful job on the cover. I thought so. Yeah, you can definitely tell that it it's got very uh, both of them. The expressions on their face are, and of course, they're they're lightly. You're touching each other's hands, and as you can see, that they're, you know, that uh, doesn't matter what color they are. Still yes, I was very happy to do that to make them, you know, interracial. Yeah, and that of course is is really good for people, you know, young people to learn. I, I honestly think that young people actually get it when it comes to that. Um, they're a lot more open-minded when it comes to oh, so racial. much more. And if you, you know, if you watch TV or see movies now, there are so yeah. many 
you know, I mean, it's really wonderful. You know, there there are stars. You know, what's really great is like it's all these stars who are mixed race. You know, mm-hmm. they're a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and they're gorgeous. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely, and, and you know, who would know the combination would make them so pretty? <laughs> and yeah, that's wonderful that the that generation uh, doesn't see racial boundaries. No. Which is good. I'm so happy to see more of that. Yes. Since I've got uh, some Honeywest files I'm putting onto uh, that was is being offered also on Nightfall Fiction. So everyone, just let you know. If you go down below, you can click on these and find more information. And obviously, these stories are being. Oh, I have out to of, say. Oh, I'm sorry. Go on are being pulled out of the cellar, so that way we can all enjoy them. Uh, one reason I really enjoy doing Honey West is because I've kept to the period. I mean, she was on TV in 1965 and 1966, so the stories that I do take place in 65 and 66. They take place in the middle 60s. So, you know, so I, I get to do that period, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, it's... It, yeah, I mean, uh, you were, uh, what age at that time? <laughs> well, young. <laughs> you were younger, yeah, you're a lot younger. And I was a very, barely born. <laughs> so, uh, but, but, you know, the, that's a great time period, though. Uh, oh, it, fabulous it, it, time period, my God. Yeah. And great to write about. Oh, yes. So, uh, if I were going to ask you what your favorite project was is it going to be it's going to be a difficult one for you to answer isn't it yes <laughs> very <laughs> difficult i don't know sometimes it seems as though the the latest project i'm working on is my favorite you know uh-huh. Uh-huh. um uh-huh. i really did just love doing honey west and i continue to love doing honey west like i said there's two more that will be coming out soon uh but i love um you know, perfecting the histories of women cartoonists. Like I say, this last one is my definitive book that will say so much more than any of the others did. And I really, you know, each each Chicagoland story I do, I love. You know, each one is better. I mean, actually, I think my favorite is The Big Flush, the one with the ghost from the Titanic. <laughs> okay. Um, Okay. But yeah, uh-huh. I don't think I could pick a, an absolute favorite of all of my projects. I kind of figured that because you know you're so passionate about each of them, and it comes out when you're talking about them. Well, thank you. And you write a you write a regular blog. Oh, an irregular blog. Irregular. (laughs) Maybe every month or so. I mean, I'm lucky if I get one out every month. Sometimes it's every few months. I call it fear of blogging because I am so technologically retarded um, that I, I just have... I have a terrible time with my blogs. I mean, I type the whole thing up, you know, and, and, you know, and, and... put copy and and paste, do all of that, thank God, or else I would just lose it, you know, because something always goes wrong when I try to put my blog up. And (laughs) if you read it, you'll see. I mean, I share my mistakes with my readers. (laughs) And you were recently at a con in June, Spring Con? 
Yes, yes, not in June. It was in May, and that was in um, St. Paul, Minnesota. And I had a fabulous time. I had a fabulous time. Um, the weather was terrible. It was there was that awful um, tornado that that I think remember it was in Oklahoma. It it destroyed yeah. that school, and I mean it was really serious. But we got the tail end of it. But enough for torrential rains, absolute torrential rains. Um, yeah. But aside from that, it was great. I had a wonderful time. People in Minnesota are very warm and very friendly. Um, it was great. I had a, I loved it. I loved it. And of course, I'm coming to Arizona next. Yeah. And, you know that to- totally different weather. I'm not expecting rain. Uh, well, actually, you might get rain. Really? Uh, yeah. It's, it's actually was actually on the way back from Phoenix. It was sprinkling. No kidding. Out there early well, that's yeah. good because it cools things <laughs> off. Yeah, like, I sure hope so. But the problem is uh, that when it rains, then it gets you. You, you get the uh, the dust storms that come with it. So you mm. get a little bit of rain, and then you get mud. Yeah, because mm. you, you get a little bit of rain on your windshield. You know what I'm saying? And then and then you get the the dust that attaches to it. <laughs> so well, I can uh, tell you that here in San Francisco. <laughs> Here in San Francisco, yeah. I'm looking out my window and the fog has rolled in. Oh, you know, it's so weird there because it can happen any time. Yes, yes. It's very um, it's very pretty, but sometimes you really do wish for hot weather. We never have hot weather. My uh, brother lives there in San Francisco. He's an architect. So, uh, yeah, it, it's, I was there uh, for their wedding a few, you know, some years back and uh, the morning it was like really foggy, and I'm going like, wow, you know, we don't get that in Arizona. Uh, I mean, you know, there've been so few times. I mean, I could probably count on one hand how many times we've had fog here. Uh, it is very weird when we get it, because <laughs> we have no major water source here. Well, if you come to San Francisco, you get enough fog, I can tell you that. But, of course, as you know, um, the fog usually rolls off. The sun burns it off by afternoon. So you have like a window, a really nice sunny window of time before the fog comes back. Because it never goes away completely. It's always like hovering over the hills waiting to come back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and you can always count on it, uh, you know, dissipating pretty quickly. But it does make it for an interesting if you're trying to get around and like you know, uh, Chinatown, which of course is whole. Yeah, you know, that's the ambiance is just so perfect. Yes. <laughs> yes, Chinatown and fog go together, don't they? It's like yeah. you know, it's like a, a noir movie, right? <laughs> and of course, it, it takes that that mentality to think about that. But, uh I said, yeah, that's it's interesting. I said, you know what, we need to get down there. Because I thought it'd be very cool to be uh, in Chinatown, walking these little shops in the fog. Oh, we have a great <laughs> Chinatown. Yeah. Yes, you do. I think it's the biggest one in the country. Yeah, and I, I purposely went. I went there several times because I wanted to experience all the little shops there. And I bought some items there. Oh yeah, they have great yeah. stuff. Yeah, definitely. So anybody who goes to San Francisco, you really have to get down to Chinatown because... Oh, it, you it, do? You know, 
You have not gone to San Francisco unless you have, quite frankly. Plus good food, <laughs> very good food. If you go to, um, I know that I was, uh, I took my son, it's the very first time that both of us experienced uh, Alcatraz. So we took the, oh, the boat yeah. over to Alcatraz. I have never been to Alcatraz. Oh man, if you're if you're if you're at all sensitive, um, you'll feel certain things. And I, I was going knowing that I'll probably feel certain things in certain parts of the the island um, where certain things happen, and, and it's like this is really kind of spooky. <laughs> so it, it been, was fun to experience that. I've been on the bay, you know, on a on a boat that passed Alcatraz. And it, you could just feel the vibes, you know, very, yeah. um, very dark vibes. Yeah, because so many things happen there, and they hear they they still have the warning, you know. Yes. Uh, the these the sign that warns you not to pick up any anybody in the water. Uh, oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> so I thought that's just so cool that they kept that sign up, you know. But yeah, you go. I mean, you walk into the cells, and and it's just you know, there's just that feeling of uh, history, dark yes. history there. And those, and that's what makes writing so fun, isn't it? It's, oh yes, yeah. experiencing these kind of things, and putting it on paper. Yes, putting it on paper. Yes. I am really excited to meet you. You're going to be. Uh, I'm going to be there. You'll be uh, there, huh? At yeah. CopperCon. Yes, yeah. Fabulous. Uh, been asked to do some of the moderators moderating for um, for Mr. Medessa and uh, a couple other people. So, um, you know, it's always fun to talk to other authors, and uh, I'm given a chance to moderate for them. So it'd be a lot of fun. I hope you come to, I'm going to be on a couple of panels, too. I hope you come to them. Uh, one of the things I'm going to be doing is interviewing a woman named Elizabeth Baruby, who drew, there was a time in the in the our early 70s when she was the only woman drawing love comics for DC, uh, DC being the publisher of Superman, and they had a love comic line, a romance comic line, and it was all done by guys who were completely clueless you know, but she <laughs> drew comics for them too. She drew single pages, like fashion pages, or sometimes two pages. She did like horoscope, like special, special item pages, like horoscopes or fashions or beauty tips. And they're gorgeous. They're very Art Nouveau, just beautiful, and they just stand out in this book where all the guys are just. I mean, they have don't have any clue about how women were dressing they figure if you put her in a short skirt you know that's that's all you need you know Uh, um but she was so good and she's finally been you know she's been like convinced to come out of well she wasn't really in hiding she just was you know living her private life and she just happens to live in arizona so she's a special guest at the convention. I've put her in my books, of course. And the first convention she went to was the one in St. Paul. So I got to meet her and make friends with her, and she's wonderful. I love her. So I'm going to be interviewing her. We'll be on I a panel together. I believe that uh, that's the one that Mike asked me to make sure that we're going to get uh, somebody to videotape it. Oh, great, so, great. Well, well I'm exactly presenting... I have a PowerPoint presentation with with 
you know, examples of her work, which is gorgeous, so you'll be able to see it in full color on a screen. Oh, okay, great. Thanks for the warning. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll make, we'll make sure that we can uh, uh, get down on videotape as well. So I'll talk to you but yes, I will be there, and and, and uh, that particular one we're videotaping a few of the panels. That way, we can uh, put that up right away and, and get people to come down and and you know visit with you. Which yeah, is that's right. It's four days. Yes, it's four days. I probably not going to be there four days, but <laughs> it'll be four days. No, I have to be there four days because I'm a guest. That's right. <laughs> but it's fine to just, you know, come for one day and drink it all in, you know? Yeah, I'm not sure when my panels are that I'm actually moderating, so uh, they'll let me know. And uh, I live in Mesa anyway, so uh, it's not that far from me. And uh, definitely come and visit with you guys. Oh, good. Well, I'm so glad. So we'll we'll see you. We're going to see you. And, and, we're you know, that's coming up really fast here. Yes, August. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, you know, about three three weeks away now. Yes. Oh my God. So yeah. So we're, we're hoping, yeah. <laughs> I know. It's just like, oh man, it's going so fast this year. <laughs> <laughs> but we say that every year, don't we? Yes. <laughs> so it's been a pleasure. And uh, there's one question I always ask uh, my guests, or try to ask my guests at the end of the show. Um, and the question is, now that you successfully slain the dragon, how will you celebrate? Huh. Now that I've successfully slain the dragon, how will I celebrate? Um, I think with a good dinner, <laughs> maybe okay. a little shopping, too. Ah, Okay. I guess we'll have to definitely get you over and do some shopping while you're here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. See, everybody has different answers, and that's what makes it so unique question. Yes, yes. (laughs) And, of course, I might just ask you again, and you'll come up with something different when I see you. I might. There you go. So... um, this is again going to go in archive mode, and and everybody will be able to listen to it. And uh, it's, it's I know there's a bunch of things going on today, so we've had I've uh, had people who are listening in the dark, but they're not calling. So it's uh, you, know, you guys, you need to learn to you know give us a call. So uh, as I've had you all myself, and that's the way it is. Well, it so, was a lot of fun. And so now you guys got to come out to Capricorn in order to meet her. So that we I'll can be there. You can't miss me. I have the table. There we go. So she'll be in the dealer's room as well. She's going to be in the, some of the panels. Uh, come on out to, uh, it's going to be Mesa. And uh, again, CapricornRevolutions.com. You need to you know, take a look and, of course, get your tickets now because it's going to go fast. And once it's full, it's full. Your guys will be it'll be too late. Thanks so much for coming on, Trina. I really enjoyed oh, Patty, uh, talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. And I can't wait to meet you in person. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll have to talk more. I'll probably come up with new things. 
Great. <laughs> okay, see you then. Thank you. Bye. Oh, thank you. Bye. That was Trina Robinson, and boy, we enjoyed talking to her. I have a couple of shout-outs to do before uh, I end for the day. And I'm going to have, uh, let's see, we are looking at doing another show probably Monday. I haven't gotten an absolute yet. Um, so I don't want to say who it is yet. It's just going to be a surprise. Anyway, this is, oh, wait a minute. Maybe I have the information here. Saturday. Um, yes. It looks like we might might very well have it Saturday instead of instead of Sunday. Either way works for me. Um, okay. Looks like I can go ahead and make the the announcement. She's making sure it was a Saturday and said yes. Uh, Tony Darling, uh, she's a local cosplay girl and she a lady. She is a longtime um, enthusiast of costuming. She's going to be with us. She's got so many different characters that she has been. Um, she's been. Uh, she's also in charge of the cosplay calendar, which uh, our fanboy every fanboy stream. And we are going to have her on the Saturday. And I don't have an absolute time yet. It looks like between 2 and 5 p.m. on Saturday. So we'll probably go ahead and say 3 o'clock. Let's make it safe. I'll say 3 o'clock. Um, I'll definitely get that on, on Facebook as soon as I know for sure. Uh, it'll be this Saturday um, around 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I'll give you guys as soon as I, I I've got all the pictures that, uh, from her already. I will be putting that show up, and so you guys will all know. Uh, we're very excited to have her. Uh, I've been having uh, more interviews with uh, our local cosplay girls uh, and ladies to have her specifically because she's going to be at CopperCon. So she'll be at CopperCon as well. She's the cosplay guest of honor, or special guest, however you want to say it. And... So we definitely wanted to get her on here before she went to uh, San Diego Comic-Con, which, as a lot of you know, is at the end of next week. So we're trying to fit her in and uh, trying to schedules <laughs> getting her in here um, to, to talk to us. So it looks like Saturday. I will confirm that. I'm confirming that right now. And we'll go ahead and set that up and let you guys know on Facebook. So if you guys need to know where I am, you know where I am, right? So that way you can uh, find out more information about that. So that's going to be that. And I also wanted to put a couple shout-outs for uh, a couple of Kickstarters that are out. Uh, one is a young man who was trying to get to Finland. He lives in Malaysia. And as you know, a lot of the issues with uh, moving from one country to another, he needs his visa, he needs all that. So he definitely needs your help to get there. And if you want more information, you can go on to the wa.com or I'm sorry, wa.info. I'm sorry. 
I'm being so weird when it comes to the name here. It's the wad.net, and on one of the pages is information about this young man, and he's got some great pictures there of uh, Finland. And he's trying to get there to work, uh, but of course he can't get there unless you guys help him to get there. So uh, take a look at that. And also some other friends of ours, Helsing is a brand new movie that's being made right now, and they're trying to uh, you know, get some help uh, with some of the added expenses that come with uh, putting together an independent film. Uh, that's from my website. We have a movie coming up soon, and of course we're all, all excited about that one. And tonight I'm going to be going out and seeing one of my friend's favorite movies. Uh, we got a brand new movie coming out tomorrow, and of course I'm not going to say. I'm going to be at the IMAX theater this evening watching it. I'm going to be with my friends out there, and... Uh, well, have fun. You have fun doing that. And that's what it's about, is it's about having fun. I am sending out information here. Uh, we just got done with... Well, she's not quite done. And, of course, we, we've been we've had on a couple other shows this week. So you guys need to take a look at those that way and, and listen to them. The Serving Up Evil with Dina Remel yesterday. And, of course, I had Ice Station Zombie author James Gurley on on Tuesday. So take, take a listen to those particular shows. That way you can find out whether uh, those particular shows and find out more about these authors. Very excited about them. And today, oh, Pacific Rim Tailgate Party tonight. And we're not going to tailgate it. We're actually going to GameWorks and actually uh, hanging out there until we can uh, get in to see Pacific Rim. So that's tonight. And here they're not really doing uh, midnight shows anymore. They're doing like 7 o'clock and and 10 p.m. shows for the night before. So it's like cheating, you know. At least that's what I think about it. So find out on, let's see here. I've got condos. Find out where are my pages that we can find out more information about these. got obviously more a lot more articles up on wad.net so take a you know get on there and take a look at all the different things we got some new gaming a lot more books up there a lot more stories about uh, books and authors um we got uh got book reviews in there of course and we got a lot more media stuff things about movies obviously all the movie reviews uh, that you guys are looking for. And some features. That's some great features in here. We've got some great authors who are writing now. And they have their own little sections. 
got uh, Arizona Artist Alley. We got Cosplay Corner, Makara. We're excited about that. Okay, under uh, features, we've got uh, the Finland or Bust. It's our friend from uh, com. Just if you go under com, you can find out more about this particular plight and trying to get from Malaysia to Finland. And I'll put that underneath there. So the uh, event is called To Finland or Bust. And also our friends from Helsing, which of course is a local um, local group. It's a local movie-making company. And under Features and the WAD, we've got the, their show that we did with them uh, a week ago. You guys can find out more about their project. Again, every little bit helps when it comes to uh, people who are in need. I'd like to see them help out. So with that, and that's what really what it's all about is is you know expanding our reach and uh, helping people out. So with that, I'm going to say good night. I need to get ready and take off here. You guys have a great week weekend, and it looks like we'll have somebody to talk to again on Saturday. I will confirm that, of course, and put the show up on Facebook. So you can find me at pj.holstrand, H-U-L-T-S-T-R-A-N-D. It has two T's, otherwise you won't find me. So I'm on Facebook. And, of course, you can also find that information. I'll probably be putting it up on the wa.net, uh, wa.net. So that way you guys can <clears throat> find out about that particular show because I know you, you fanboys love to know more about these these ladies that like to dress up. So with that, I'm going to say goodnight. This is KWAD Radio, and this is Patty Holstrand signing out. <laughs>